Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Promises that God has given each and every one of us. There's promises that God's given me individually. There's promises that God has given Pastor Matt, Pastor Dave, Pastor Jake, the entire staff. He's given to Pastor Toledo and Chrissy. He's given to every one of us. God's given us promises. God's given us something that I'm calling you to do. And I want you guys to open up to the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a look at the incredible promise that Jesus and that God gave the disciples. Before we begin, I want to, um, you know, walk through some things. We've, you know, there's, there's, God gives us these promises. God gives us always something to hold on to. And we're going to walk through the process that we need to go through when God gives us that promise. And there's so many times that God gives us a promise. He gives us a calling. There's something that he's, he says, my son, my daughter, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. I'm calling you to do this. And how many of you know sometimes there's a process to go through before that promise is fulfilled? And that's actually the title of the message today is God's promise is his process. God's promise is his process. And so many times, sometimes the process is very short, but that's not the case very often, right? So often there's a process that God takes us through and it's days, weeks, months, years. But what do we do when God has given us this promise? What, is, what do we do when God gives us a promise in our marriage? When God gives us a promise for our finances, when God gives us a promise for that job, what do we do? And there's a process that we're going to glean from the scriptures today in the book of Acts. But before we begin, I want to pray. I want to pray that God would open our hearts, God would open our eyes, and God would open our ears to hear what he would have for us. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much. Thank you for your presence here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you thought we were worthy enough to die for. Thank you, God, that you sacrificed your son. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us and you have a purpose for each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Speak to our hearts, oh God, Lord Jesus. Would this, this word that you have for us, would it land on fertile soil? I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would anoint it, Lord, that you would water it. Lord, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that it would bear much fruit in our lives in this next season. God, we trust you. Lord, would you open ears, would you open eyes, would you open hearts, would you open minds today? We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, as I mentioned, God's promise is his process. And we're going to start in the book of Acts, but before we put it up, you know, uh, the book of Acts comes after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospels... Tell the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his discipleship of the disciples, his death, and his miraculous resurrection, his conquering of death. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, where after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. And they spent time, he spent time ministering to them and teaching them even more and saying, you know, he's promising them certain things and the promise that we're going to talk about this afternoon. And I want you to put yourself in the position of the disciples as we read this. 
When we read the Bible, when we, when we read this passage, I want you to filter this as if you are standing there with Matthew, with Peter, and with John. And that's going to help us to, to discover and define and to work through this process that God is laying out. So the book of Acts cha- uh, chapter 1 verse 4 it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. So pause here for just a second. Again, put yourself in the the position of the disciples. You had walked with Jesus. You had been with him for three, over three years. You had seen him brutally crucified. You'd seen this incredible, miraculous resurrection. Where is Jesus? His tomb is empty. There's a hubbub in the city of Jerusalem. And he shows up. He shows up and he talks with you. And he's, Jesus, you're alive. And the joyfulness and the jubilation that ensued afterwards. And then he, he visits with you. He teaches with you for another 40 days. And then he takes you out to the Mount of Olives. And again, this is, this is again, my perspective and when I, when I put myself in the position of the disciples, I, I think of this hill, this mountain, and, you know, we're kind of gathered around. And maybe I've seen too many, like, Bible, Bible cartoons growing up. I had the privilege of growing up in church. And I imagine this, this, like, haze around Jesus. And as he's going up, lights and, like, trumpets and, like, light laser shows and everything that's going on. But Jesus miraculously and mysteriously ascended into heaven. And it says, they were looking intently up into the sky, and as he was going, when suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. It says, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? We're going to come back to this, men of Galilee. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, again, the disciples, they were recruited by Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. They ministered with Jesus. Jesus launched them out in a season, and they they saw Jesus do incredible miracles. They themselves did miracles. They had received a promise. It said, wait. You will receive the Holy Spirit, but you must wait in Jerusalem. And so often we receive a promise, but there's a wait There's a wait, there's a pause, there's something that we have, there's a process. There's things that have to happen before that promise is fulfilled. And just a quick side note, I want to, again, when I read the Bible, I try to put myself in the position of those people. Put yourself in the position of Peter or John or James. They were following the man Jesus who, in the eyes of the Jewish leaders or the Roman leaders, was leading a revolt. And after he was savagely beaten, and crucified, he mysteriously exited his tomb. Let's just put it this way. The disciples were not exactly the most welcome people in the city of Jerusalem at the time. 
And so it's interesting that Jesus said, wait, in Jerusalem. The place where naturally, I don't know about you, but I would have left. I would have left. I would have said, there's too many things going wrong there. I'm going over here. But Jesus said, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. And the other thing I want to lay out before we get started is that notice the, 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 the angels called them men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. He didn't refer to them as Peter, John, James, Matthew. He didn't refer to them as disciples of Jesus. He referred to them as their place of origin. Those men were from Galilee. If you read in the Gospels, Jesus was in Galilee and he recruited them in the area of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to come back to that in a minute because so many times we receive a promise from the Lord and we stay in the same place. So many times we receive a promise from the Lord and we, sit and we say, but I'm just a person, I'm a man from Galilee. That can't be right. You can't call me to do that. But God had an incredible plan, an incredible promise for the disciples. Again, today we're going to talk that God's promise is his process. How many of you had a, prof- a, 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 a promise in your life that you're holding on to? Amen. I do. There's things in my life that God has promised me that I'm waiting for. There's things in my life that I've seen come to, come to fruition. And there's a process that God takes us through as, we, as he fulfills the promises in our life. And the first thing I want to I walk through is that the process takes prayer. The process takes prayer. It says, when the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. So they receive this incredible promise. They're on the hill of the, the Mount of Olives, and the first thing they do is they go to where they're, they're, they're stationed and they pray. They constantly pray, they said. Constantly pray. It wasn't, prayer wasn't just the first thing that they did. It was also the primary thing that they did. Constantly praying. Constantly praying. And I want to encourage you, if there's something in your life that God's given you a promise for, pray about it. Pray about it. There's a couple of verses that come to mind when I, when I think of this. It, uh, the, in James, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. This is a passage that we, you hear all the time. If, you're, if you've been in the doors of Chicago Tabernacle before, you've heard this before. Pastor Matt just said this a few minutes ago. Their prayer meeting is the most important meeting of the week. It is a foundational uh, uh, cornerstone of this church. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. It also says uh, in Psalms, this is one of my favorite passages. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests. Some translations say prayers. Each morning I bring my requests to you and wait expectantly. And the disciples said, God, you've called us. You've given us this promise. We wait for you. And there's a consistency. And they were constantly praying I'm, you know, I'm so thankful that this is a, not a foreign thing to our church. If anyone has been here for more than just a few weeks, you guys know that this is a pivotal and a foundational thing, uh, uh, aspect of our ministry. And this is something that Pastor Toledo and Chrissy grew up in Brooklyn Tabernacle. And they, they, broke it, they brought it here to Chicago Tabernacle. And this church 
has been birthed through the prayers of the prayer meeting and in the prayer meeting of men and women in their prayer closets at home. There's a story that is one of the foundational aspects of, of, of this ministry in this, in this church. Um, you know, Pastor and Christy came here in 2002, and there's a, they were meeting with a small group of people. And um, they needed a new building. The church was growing, and the building they were in was, um, let's just say they needed a new building. So they, and they found an incredible building. They started looking. They saw a building at the corner of Troy and Berteau. 4201 North Troy. Just out of curiosity, how many of you ever was at 4201 North Troy? Wow, amen. So about half of us were never a part of, uh, were never attended 4201 North Troy. Well, it was an incredible building, and those of us that have been here at the church for more than five years ago have such fond memories of that building. And when Pastor and Christy saw that, they knew the first thing that they had to do. It was a small church, and they took this prayer request to their prayer meeting. And his pastor said so many times, he handed the mic to someone and said, God, the, the, as the story goes, there's the man prayed, God, we need a building, we need a down payment, we need a mortgage, and we need it now. And over a series of incredible things over, the, over seven days, and this is a story, if you've been through membership class, if you, if you, there you can see it on our website, it's called The Seven Day Miracle. And over a series of seven days, God provided a mortgage, he provided a down payment, even provided a group of people to help fix it up. And I firmly believe that you and I are here today because of that prayer in that prayer meeting. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. The process takes prayer. The process takes prayer. It doesn't take work. It doesn't take intellect. It doesn't take hope. There's a man who has been uh, very pivotal in my shaping of my life and of my spiritual growth. It, it's, I've never met him. His name is Samuel Chadwick. He wrote two books that were, have incredibly blessed me. It's called, one's called The Path to Prayer and the one called Way to Pentecost. And there's a quote that I find very, very interesting. It says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies from prayerless work, from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. How many know that when we pray, the, 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 the darkness can, must flee, the gates of hell will not prevail? How many know when we pray, Satan must run? Satan must run. He trembles at prayer. It's not works that's gonna fulfill the promise. There's nothing that we can do to fulfill the promise. Again, it's not works. It's not good brains. It's not good looks. It's not good stamina. It's nothing but prayer. Only prayer. Prayer is primary. Prayer is the thing that catapults the fulfillment of the promises. And I encourage you, when you receive a promise, pray it through. You know, I wonder if pastor left that amen button in here. I said, when you receive a promise, pray it through. It's not in here, by the way. So you guys got to help me out, all right? When you receive a promise, pray it through. Maybe you're here, you've received a promise for your marriage. Pray it through. You're here, you received a promise for your finances. Pray it through. You're here, you received a promise 
for a wayward child. Everyone, pray it through. You're here, you've received the promise for the job that you need. Amen. So the first thing that disciples learned and they realized is that prayer, the process takes prayer. It's the first thing. It's the primary thing. It's the thing that's the engine that, that helps fulfill the promise. It's the thing that, that drives. There's so many stories of, of, of preachers of old that, that would, would open up doors of basements and there'd be a group of people that, that are praying through sermons. You know, I'm so blessed. Currently our intercession ministry prays in my office. And they say, I'm so sorry we're using your office. I'm so sorry. I said, no, I am so blessed that you're using my office. Prayer, prayer, the process takes prayer. So after receiving the promise, the disciples immediately hit their knees in prayer. They knew prayer was the primary thing. They also knew that the process takes repositioning. The process takes repositioning. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Believe, uh, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. Let me pause here just for a second. Uh, just catch everyone up. Make sure we're all on the same page. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, and he was the one that betrayed Jesus. And uh, he ultimately met his demise. Uh, he took money from the Jewish leaders to, to betray Jesus, and he ultimately met his uh, demise. It says, for, Peter, for, said Peter, it was written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Some translations say right here, say, may others and someone else take his position. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and also known as Justice and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. So the disciples received this incredible promise from God. They received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they knew we have to pray it through. We have to pray it through. And they also knew that there's some things that they had to get in order. They had to get their, their house in order, so to say. And so they said, you know what? We need 12 leaders. We need 12 disciples. We need, to, we need someone to fulfill, to fill the place of, Ju uh, of Judas. And so they said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Who would you have fill the place? And eventually Matthias was elected to join the place. It was joined, to join the 12. And um, they knew that the right structure and the right positioning was needed so that way when the promise was fulfilled, they could fulfill their calling. They knew that the structure needed to be in place. And I want to point out for those of you who have gone through DNA of a leader, DNA of a leader is a, a leadership class that we teach here. And you notice the two things that are evident here. Prayer is altar and repositioning is stewardship. And there's, it's time and time and time and time again, we see that those two are the keys of growing and of the, tra the tracks of continuing to fulfilling the promise that God has on our life. And I wanna encourage you, keep prior primary and help and, and, and the process takes repositioning. There's another verse I wanna put up. This is the next verse, the first verse in chapter two. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They're all together in one place. And I wanna to to point out two things. There was a corporate repositioning and, then there, and there was also a individual repositioning, a corporate 
repositioning, an individual repositioning. They corporately position themselves to be able to receive the promise. They corporately position themselves so that way when the promise was fulfilled, they were able to fulfill the calling, to fulfill the calling to go into all Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. But there's also an individual fulfillment. And excuse me, individual repositioning. Take a look at Peter. Peter, can you go back one slide? I'm so sorry. It says, uh, I'm sorry, back one more slide. It says, in those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers. Now, Peter, as you know, he was the one that denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, the night of his death. And in John 21, we see Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I do. Feed my lambs. And we see Peter taking his position in a place of leadership. So there's the corporate positioning and there's the, and there's the individual uh, positioning. And just a side note, notice that there was an expectation too. There's a holy expectation. They did this immediately. They immediately hit their, their, their knees in prayer and they immediately positioned themselves. They said, hey, we got we to gotta get things ready. We got to get our house in order. This could happen even any minute. Jesus gave us a promise. The same Jesus that conquered death 40 some days ago, he gave us a promise and we know that he can fulfill that promise. He said, we, they said, we have to get things ready. And my brother and my sister, I want to encourage you, get things ready. Get things ready. You know, yesterday, I, um, I for those of you who don't know, I have two little boys. Uh, Wesley turns four in just a couple weeks and James is two and we have two so two boys within 20 some months of each other and it is a busy 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 season in our life and uh, I had the privilege of uh, we had a we had a boy day yesterday we had a daddy day yesterday and I took him out for a little bit Wesley woke up like 6 15 6 30 he said daddy can I have a cookie I said, what a cookie I said he said yeah can I have a cookie I was like no, it's 6.15 in the morning. <laughs> but we're also going through a season of, of teaching our boys that obedience brings a blessing. This is a whole nother sermon in itself, but obedience brings a blessing. So I said, listen, tell you what, if you obey daddy today and you eat all your food at lunch and dinner, I'll give you a cookie after dinner. So we went about our day. We hung out. We did some errands. They ate lunch and he maxed his food. Typically, he's like pretty picky, but he just pounded it. And then they took a good nap, and they woke up. We ran around and ate dinner, and he just, again, it was like devoured everything, like he hadn't eaten for days. And so I said, all right, you guys ready for, for bath time? He said, no. I said, excuse me. <laughs> he said, you said I could have a cookie. You promised. I said, you're right. How many of you know a Wesley he positioned himself for that cookie. But he, took, he got his house in order, right? He took care of business that day so he could get that cookie that afternoon. Amen? I want to encourage you. Have faith to let the promise reposition you. Have faith to let the promise reposition you. Are there things in your life that you know are not in order right now. God's given you a promise, and yet you're not ready to receive the promise. God's given you a promise, and there's things in your life that you know 
you're not, you don't have the capacity to fulfill the calling that that promise means. I want to encourage you, let the repositioning happen. So that way that promise can be fulfilled. Because sometimes there's times in our life where God's given us a promise and yes, we're bringing it before the Lord. We say, God, we trust you. We believe you. We know that you can do it. And God holds off because we're not ready. He's ready to pour out his blessings on our life. He's ready to fulfill his promise, but we're not ready to fulfill that promise or to, to receive that promise. And I want to encourage you, get your house in order. Reposition yourself. The, pro- the, promise, the process takes repositioning. Maybe you're here and God's given you a promise in your finances, but yet you're still being unwise with your finances. Get your house in order. Reposition yourself. And by the way, I'm using the term get your house because there's a concept of stewardship I'm talking about. Get your, get your stewardships in order. There's a whole stewardship conversation we can talk about, but get your stewardships. Be ready. Be ready to receive the promise that God has for you. Amen. If God has given you a promise in your life, hold on to it, expect it, and be ready to receive it. If God has given you a promise in your life, hold on to it, prepare for it, expect it, and be, be ready to receive it. So we see that the process takes prayer. The disciples hit their knees and said, God, we trust you. And there's a const- they constantly were praying. The process takes repositioning. We see Peter being repositioned. We see the disciples getting their things ready so that way when the promise was fulfilled, they were able to fulfill the calling that God gave them. And the third thing is the promise fulfilled gives us a new perspective. The promise fulfilled gives us a new perspective. Uh, I'm so sorry, I, uh, I gave him a, a wrong verse. There's a verse before that it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The promise fulfilled. Now here, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans where they were from, their place of origin, where they got the promise? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, the calling? You see, these men, these disciples, they received the promise and the angel said, men of Galilee, you have a process to go through. The promise is not ready to be fulfilled. You need to be prayerful. You need to pray. You need to pray it through. You need to get your house in order. There's things that you need to reposition. You're not ready to receive the promise, but when they are ready, the promise was fulfilled and they were ready to fulfill the calling that God had on their their life and their ministry to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It says, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. I had to practice those two. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretan and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God's in our, God in our own tongues. And because they had been prayerful, because they had positioned themselves both personally and corporately, they were ready to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
The people around them still referred to them as Galileans, but they knew that they were changed. See, the people didn't have the people around them didn't have the perspective. The people around them didn't have the perspective knowing that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were changed. And they were able to communicate in the languages of the people they were called to go witness to. You see, all these nations, all these areas, those are the people. Those are the ends of the earth. Those are the ends of the earth. That was the calling that God had given them. And they were when the, when the promise was fulfilled, they, their perspective was changed instead of being men of Galilee to witnesses to all the earth. I said, when the, when the promise was fulfilled, they changed from being men of Galilee to being able to fulfill the calling to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to fulfill the calling on their life. I wanna share a quick story, put up a picture. This man's name is someone I, I recently learned about. Um, his name is Srinivasa Ramanujan. Srinivasa Ramanujan. And I'm not gonna try and say that any more time, so I'm gonna call him Srinivasa. It's a long name, but his, um, his story was made famous by a recent movie. And uh, he was a mathematician um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He was born in rural India in 1887. And growing up, he was so in love with math that he, that he was just babbled about it all the time. And the other kids thought he was strange. And the teachers were even like, this guy's not gonna amount into anything. And it's because he was so focused on math and so focused on this mission that I'm gonna be, I'm gonna use this math. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world with this math. Growing up, he was so enamored, enamored by math that even as a young boy, the other children, even teachers, wrote him off as always having the, his head in the clouds and that he would not amount to anything. He was so advanced intellectually that his teachers couldn't even understand his mathematical theories. Because of this, he taught himself mathematics and began testing different mathematical theories and developed a keen intuition in the field, yet he was always thought of as careless and that he would amount to nobody. Still, he held on to his passion for math. Through a series of events, he eventually landed a job as a clerk in the city of Madras and his theories made their way to G.H. Hardy, who was an esteemed mathematician and a fellow at Cambridge University, one of the most prestigious, prestigious schools ever, and at the time it was the top of the top. Hardy saw the promise in the young man and in 1913 arranged for him to come study at Cambridge for two years when the young Indian was just 26 years old. And as the story goes, the uh, Hardy took this young man underneath his wing, but, the, but Srinivasa, his talents were so raw and so, so uneducated that Hardy's colleagues looked down on him, both Hardy and Srinivasa because of Srinivasa's color but also because he was never gonna to amount to anything. And eventually over time, Hardy trained him and he, and he grew in his mathematical skills and he eventually established theories that refuted some of the standing theories of the day. And many of those theories were held by the mathematicians there at Cambridge. For the next few years after that, Srinivasa remained at Cambridge and his mathematics became to be considered the best in the world. And eventually he was nominated and voted in as a fellow of Cambridge, one of the highest honors in the mathematical field at the time. He was both the youngest, I believe he was the youngest or the second youngest and first Indian to receive this honor. Eventually his health declined because he was used to the Indian air, but he was in England in the height of the industrial revolution 
And so he uh, developed a sickness and he had to go home. And Hardy said of Srinivasa as he was returning, he will return to India with a scientific standing and a reputation such as no Indian has enjoyed before. And I'm confident that India will regard him as the treasure that he is. You see, Srinivasa, he had a promise. He had a call. He, he believed in himself that he was going to be an incredible mathematician. His country didn't believe in him. The people of Cambridge didn't believe in him. But when he fulfilled the calling that was on his life, when he came into his own as a mathematician, there was a new perspective of him. People saw him in a different light. And even to this day, his theories, he developed over 3,900 theories, I think. And even to this day, those theories are the basis for higher mathematical education to this day. Almost 100 years later, those theories are still standing today. And it all happened because of an uneducated Indian boy from, a rural, from rural India. You know, he had, there's a new perspective that he had of himself and that other people had of him. You take, go back to the story we've been reading in the book of Acts. You can take that picture down, please. It's a big picture of that man looking over my shoulder. You go back to the story. You, you read the next passages. You see Peter personally positioned, prayerful, and now filled with the promise. Standing up, it says he stood forward, uh, stepped forward with the 11 others, and he preached the church's first sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people got saved, 120 to 3,000. How many of you know that would be a parking challenge for us, right? That would be a challenge. But you see Peter fulfilling the promise and fulfilling the calling. And if you take the promise that, and the calling that Jesus gave the disciples, go into all the world and be, you will be my witnesses in Judea, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you lay over the outline of Acts. You see the fulfillment of each of rings of those, that promise. You see the, the disciples minister to Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. You see Peter, John, and Stephen. You see them at the temple. You see them ministering, and you see them fulfilling and changing the perspective of people there in Jerusalem. You see in chapters 8 through 12, Peter, uh, Philip, Peter, and Saul, who eventually became Paul, going into Judea and Samaria. And you see in the rest of the book, Paul and his, and his companions, Silas and Timothy and Barnabas, going into all the world, all the known world, and preaching the gospel. Their perspective has changed. And what I want to encourage you, when God fulfills a promise in our life, he gives you a new outlook. He, we would, those disciples would have not had that outlook had they not gone through prayer and they have not gotten their, their, their house in order. They had not gone through a repositioning. When God fulfills a promise in our life, he gives us a new outlook. Something that we can take from this, the promise fulfilled is not for you to keep. Just like that man, Srinivasa, the promise that was fulfilled in his life, he impacted thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even though so, most people thought he couldn't do it. The promise fulfilled is not for you to keep. Maybe you're here and you've seen God do an incredible thing in your life. You've seen God fulfill promises in your life. I wanna encourage you, the promise is not for you to keep. When God fulfills a promise in our life, he uses it, he gives it to us so that way we can encourage others. Brother, there's someone sitting right next to you that needs the same encouragement that you got. He needs to be encouraged in the same way that God fulfilled a promise in your life. Sister, same thing with you. There's someone sitting next to you. Share. Share what God has done in your life. Tests become testimony. Amen? Tests become testimony. The promise fulfilled is not for you to keep. God has fulfilled a promise. If God has fulfilled a promise in your life and you're not letting it grow you and you're not letting it grow the others around you, I want to encourage you. Let it be a testimony. 
It changes people's perspective. You see, when God fulfills a promise in someone's life, when God fulfills, fulfills a promise in my life, in your life, God uses it as a testimony. It changes other people's perspective. And guess what? It points people to Jesus. Amen? As we close, I want to encourage you. When God gives us a promise, it's fulfilled in his timing. We talked earlier that sometimes promises are fulfilled and it takes forever. God, I know you're, I know you're here. God. But guess what? God has a perfect timing. God has a perfect timing. There is an act of faith that we must exercise. There's an act of faith we must exercise when we go through this process. God's promise is his process. God's promise is his process. I want you all to stand. I want you to close your eyes. We're going to sing here in just a minute, but maybe as I was sharing and we were reading through this passage. Maybe you're hearing me say the word promise and you have no idea what I'm talking about. When we pray here in just a minute, I want you to pray, God, give me a promise. Give me something to hold on to. Give me something that I can exercise my faith. God, I know that there's no, I know this is not it with my marriage. I know this is not it with my finances. I know this is not it with my job. God, give me something to hold on to. God, I trust you. I believe in you. God, give me a promise I can hold on to. Maybe you're here and you are, God's given you a promise. He's deposited something in your heart. He's deposited something in you and you're sitting on the sidelines. God's given you a promise, but yet you're not doing anything about it. I wanna encourage you, pray it through. We're gonna spend time here in just a minute. We're gonna pray it through. We're gonna pray for each other. We're gonna pray for ourselves. Pray it through. Maybe you're here and you're praying but you know there's things in your life that you gotta get right so that when the promise is fulfilled, you're able to move forward. Pray about it. We're gonna pray here in just a minute. Maybe you're here, God's done something incredible in your life. You need to share about it. You need to tell others about it. You need to let it be a witness and a, to encourage others and to build each other up. So the band and the singers are gonna place here something in just a minute. We're gonna sing, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pray here in just a minute. But God, you are faithful. Yes, God, you are faithful. Let's sing. Faithful you are Faithful forever you will be Faithful you are Come on, reach out to God All your promises His promises are yes, yes and, amen. and amen Come on, come on, let's pray I'm sorry, let's All keep continue sing. Continue sing. Are yes and amen. Faithful you are faithful forever you will be faithful you are All your promises are yes and amen. Yes.
promises are yes and amen. Come on, we're going to pray for each other in just a minute, but put your hands on your heart. Begin to pray for yourself. Maybe one of those things I was talking about earlier, God pricked your heart. Maybe you need a promise for your own life. Begin to pray, God, give me that promise. Maybe you're here and you need, you need to continue to stay prayerful in the promise that God gave. Begin to cry out to the Lord and constantly, constantly, consistently give it over to God. Maybe there's things in your life you know that you need to get in position. Give it over to God. So come on, begin to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray out loud. Pray out loud so people can be encouraged by it, so others can hear you. God, we love you. God, we need you. God, you've given us promises, oh God, Lord. We need you, oh God. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, oh God, who, who need a promise for you, something to hold on to. Speak to them in this moment, I pray. Speak to them in this moment, I pray. Speak to them in this moment, I pray, Lord. For those of us who you've given, a pro given us a promise, help us to be, be active in our faith. Help us to pray it through. Help us to pray it through. Come on, pray. Cry out to God. There's things in your life that God wants to do. There's things in your life that God is promising you. Reach out to him. There's an act of faith that we need. Come on, begin to pray. God, we need you, Lord. There's things that you've called us to do, Lord. Help us to see, oh God, Lord. Help us to hear the promises you've given us, oh God. Help us to hear the promises you've given us, oh God. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. Now hold, grab a hold of someone's hand next to you. There's times in our life where God fulfills promises and he fulfills that promise for someone else. I want to encourage you. Pray for the person next to you. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Pray that they would hear the voice of God. Pray that they would hear, oh God, the, the, the promises that they have, that God's calling them. Pray that God, they would stay consistent with the prayer. Pray that they would be repositioned and pray so that way they can be encouraged. Come on, begin to pray for the person to your left and to your right. Faithful. All your, All your promises, promises are yes and amen. Yes and amen. Come on, reach out to him. 
faithful. God, your promises in our life are yes. They are amen. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've deposited in people's lives even now. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given us to hold on to. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a faith to continue to prayerfully submit those promises to you, trusting that you have your perfect timing in mind. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're repositioning us, oh God, Lord, that you're moving things in our lives, oh God, Lord, that you're, you're changing us, you're, you're bettering us so that we, we can fulfill the calling on our life when you deposit that promise in our hearts and in our lives and you fulfill that. And God, I pray, Lord, that we go when we go here, when we leave here, the promises that you have fulfilled, Lord, would it be a testament to you would it be a testament to others? Would it be an example to others of your goodness and your faithfulness that your promises are yes and amen, Lord? Would you help us to, to share about it, Lord? Would you help us to pour into others? Would it be encouragement to others? Would it be able to build others up? God, I ask that you would be with us. Lord, as we leave here, Lord, protect us, protect our minds, protect our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that as we go, we would be built up and we'd be encouraged and that we would hold on to these promises. Lord, in those hard times this week, we would hold on to the promises. Lord, as, as we face challenges, we would hold on to those promises that you've given us and we would understand that your promise is also your process and you're changing us and you're growing us and you're helping us to become all you want us to be. God, we love you. We commit ourselves to you and we praise you for all that you're gonna do in our lives and through our lives. In the mighty, matchless name, we say amen. Let's praise the Lord one more time. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord.